We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Volume. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Friday, everybody. I hope all of you guys had an incredible week. We are also live on AMP, so if you're listening on the YouTube feed or on the podcast feed, don't forget that AMP is the very first place that you guys can get these shows. We are finally, at long last, three weeks later, at the end of our player rankings. We're going to be paying homage to the great Nikola Jokic today, who has the most solid case for number one that we've seen in a long time. You guys know the drill. Before we get started, subscribe to The Volume's YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't miss any show announcements. And if for whatever reason you miss one of these videos and you can't get back over to YouTube to finish, don't forget you can find them wherever you get your podcasts under hoops tonight. Last but not least, before we get started, next Monday I'm actually going to see the Gran Turismo movie up in Phoenix. And then we're going to actually be doing a full review of it here on the show. I'm excited to do that for you guys. The new movie Gran Turismo is based on the unbelievable true story of a team of unlikely underdogs, a struggling working class gamer, a failed former race car driver, and an idealistic motorsport executive. Together they risk it all to take on the most elite sport in the world. Directed by Neil Blomkamp, the movie features an incredible cast led by David Harbour alongside Orlando Bloom, Jaiman Hanso, Jerry Hallowell Horner, and Archie Medecki as Jan Mardenborough. Some of the most famous racing competitions in the world are recreated through the use of actual Nissan GTs, drones, and practical effects. The racing sequences are so realistic that the real-life Jan Mardenborough himself actually served as the stunt driver for the film. This is a movie that needs to be seen on the big screen. Gran Turismo is an inspiring, thrilling, and action-packed story that proves that nothing is impossible when you're fueled from within. Gran Turismo, based on a true story, is exclusively in movie theaters this August 25th with special sneak previews this weekend. Get your tickets today, rated PG-13. All right, let's talk some basketball. So, as I said in the intro... 
Uh, this year was as definitive a case for number one, as you'll see in the modern NBA. He was actually the front runner to win his third consecutive MVP about two-thirds of the way through the season before he basically punted that award. Um, not anything we can be critical of him for. I thought it was more just uh, Jokic just identifying that it was already kind of like a politic-oriented award that a lot of people didn't want him to win, and I think he just took the opportunity to rest up for the playoff run. And in that playoff run, he had an incredibly dominant run, especially dominant over his peers. He ran through six players that were on my top 15 list. Anthony Edwards, Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Jimmy Butler. Just ran through those guys. Never was even remotely threatened. The only team to even take two games off of them was the Suns, and the Nuggets whooped their ass so thoroughly in the other four games that they outscored them by 57 points in the series, which was by far their largest margin of victory in the playoff run. So the key word there is dominant. But most importantly, Nikola Jokic was by far the primary driver of their success throughout the season and in the playoffs. Don't get me wrong, the Nuggets were an extremely talented championship roster. You do not win in the NBA if you do not have a good team. Jamal Murray produced like a superstar in this playoff run, and I actually think I had him at 16 in the list this year. Um, Aaron Gordon had just this unbelievable defensive playoff run where he took all these primary assignments between Kevin Durant, LeBron James, Jimmy Butler, did a great job at all those assignments, all while shooting 39% from three and bringing a bunch of other little dirty work things to the table. Bruce Brown played so well, he got a $45 million contract over two years. He's now a $20-plus million a year player, and I, I could keep going down the line, but you guys get the point. The Nuggets were a very good team. That said... It was incredibly apparent to anybody watching the games that Nikola Jokic was the singular cog that made the entire system work on offense. He demonstrated what I consider to be supreme unguardability that flummoxed every defense that he ran into. He flummoxed the best defense in the league, in my opinion, in the Lakers, took the best defender in the league in Anthony Davis and made him look utterly worthless. It was just as dominant as it gets. We will get more to the unguardability element here in a few minutes because I want to spend a, a good chunk of time breaking down what exactly makes Nikola Jokic unguardable because I think there are two specific traits that a player has to have. And I think there's only two players in the league that have those traits. But to make a long story short, Nikola Jokic kicked everyone's ass and got the trophy. And no matter what, he's that he's got the top spot on my list through to next June. Yes, that means that even if he plays poorly for some stretch of the regular season or misses some stretch of the regular season with injury, and let's just say Jason Tatum is averaging 40 and just kicking everyone's ass in the regular season, I don't care. You know, I I'm, I I said this about Jokic before. When I had it, because I had a much lower last year, because again, and you guys know how I feel about this stuff. I have my like kind of existing worldview of basketball, but I'm not married to it. I'm going to adjust that worldview based on new information, right? So, like, I had Embiid and Jokic both very low last year. I had them, I think, seven and eight, respectively. Why? Because I believed that you could not win in the NBA with a really slow footed center. I thought that the teams would run you off the floor in transition, spread you out and drive and kick you to death. I didn't think it'd be possible to do it. It turns out I was wrong. Nikola Jokic proved that that's no longer the case. Now, well, it remains to be seen in the long run whether or not he's kind of an outlier among centers, but you'll notice I even moved Embiid up this year because now I actually see that you can structurally win a championship with a slow-footed center. We react to new 
information, right? But again, like I was slower to give Jokic, you know, big picture credit because you guys know how much I value championships. Well, now Jokic has the championship, which makes him enter in an entirely different class of conversation for me personally. And I know everyone views the game differently. That's just for me. I, I'm cool with being slow to give credit to guys who are not champions because you know when you get the trophy, that's when we layer all the praise and the respect and the credit onto you. And that's what we're doing to Nikola Jokic today. So quick season recap. He played in 69 games this year, averaged 25 points, 12 rebounds, and 10 assists. 70% true shooting percentage. Guess what? That was the highest true shooting percentage in the entire league among any player who played at least 25 minutes per game, including big guys who just stand under the basket and dunk everything. Nikola Jokic, most efficient player in the NBA this year to play significant minutes. Um... Some play type data for you guys. The post-up was by far Nikola Jokic's most common play type. In fact, Nikola Jokic ran 634 post-ups this year, which was by far the most in the league. To give you guys, actually, I'll just let you guys guess. Who do you think was second in the league in total post-ups ran? The correct answer is Nikola Vucevic. He ran 449. So to give you an idea, Nikola Jokic ran almost 200 more post-ups than anybody else in the entire league. He scored a staggering 1.22 points per possession on post-ups, including passes on our high-volume post-up list, which is a minimum of 200 reps. There were 20 players on that list. Jokic ranked second. Here we have another trivia question for you guys. Who do you think finished first? And it's not who you'd think, and it's not a big guy. He's only about six foot six. The correct answer is DeMar DeRozan, who just had an absurd post-up season. He had an absurd ISO season, too. But he averaged 1.3 points per possession on post-ups on high volume, which is just outrageous. So kudos to DeMar DeRozan. Second most common play type for Nikola Jokic was role man possessions. Obviously, as a product of the two-man game that he frequently runs with not just Jamal Murray, but with KCP and Michael Porter Jr. as well. Um, Jokic shot 68% on rolls to the rim. That efficiency number is key. We're going to get to that more when we talk unguardability. But he averaged 1.37 points per possession in those situations, which is in the 91st percentile just a deadly floater there in the mid-range deadly pick and pop you know jump shot catch and rip that kind of situation he's also one of the top tier passers in the league which is vital in the short roll as the defense uh coalesces around you 1.2 points per spot up possession he shot 64 percent in effective field goal percentage in spot up situations once again that's just your classic stretch big as well which opens up a bunch of things for your offense Inverted pick and roll was another big one I wanted to hit on. He did it mostly with Aaron Gordon, but he'd sometimes use guards as well. This was a significant play type for uh, Jokic. He ran it almost 200 times this year. It was, uh, you know, we talked about this yesterday with Giannis because Giannis, you know, we think of him as perimeter ball handler, so we don't call it inverted pick and roll. But technically, it's kind of like an inverted pick and roll because Giannis functions as a as a big man in their system mo- most of the time. But I talked about how for Giannis, it works really well because what you're doing is you're taking, you know, so for instance, like Trey Young ran almost 2,000 pick and rolls this year, right? Like we had 15 players in the league who ran over 1,000 pick and rolls, right? For guards, it's such a common play type that guess what guard defenders are constantly doing? They're constantly chasing over the top of screens, right? That's what they do. From the collegiate level primarily up through um, uh, the pros, they are just every single day practicing and in games chasing over the top of screens. And so it's something that they're good at. For the, the gigantic forwards that you have to put on guys like Giannis and on guys like Nikola Jokic, they don't do that. 
They practice defending in the post. They practice being the screen defender, operating in some form of drop coverage. They guard on the wing against wing scorers. They do not chase over the top of screens very often, and so they're not very good at it. And so inverted pick and roll basically takes defenders and puts them in positions that they're not comfortable with. It's funny because when we talk about matchup hunting, we always think about isolation, but every single one of those matchup hunting situations brings a... The goal is to bring a defender into a situation where he's uncomfortable, right? So if we're attacking a big on a switch, it's because big guys are not used to guarding quicker players on the perimeter, right? If we're attacking a small guy in the post, it's because a small player is not particularly good at post-up defense because he doesn't practice it a lot, right? You know, a lot of times screen navigation gets targeted in a bunch of different situations. If a guy really struggles to just guard a wide pin down, you'll see a team spam a wide pin down because the guy keeps dying on the screen or whatever. Pick and roll, same type of situation. In an inverted pick and roll, you're taking advantage of the fact that the actual on-ball defender is not good at navigating screens. And so Nikola Jokic brings up Aaron Gordon into the screen. Now I've got two big slow guys trying to guard an inverted pick and roll. And and it's just an extremely difficult task for guys that don't have a lot of practice with that. So um, you'll see in those situations, Jokic will either just get downhill because his man will dive on the, die on the screen and he's just getting really close to the rim. Or there's a botched interchange, which leaves Aaron Gordon wide open on a lob. Or they have to bring the third defender in and Jokic is hitting the corner pa- the, the pass to the weak side corner. He just picks people apart in those situations. He ran 192 inverted pick and rolls this year amounting to 1.09 points per possession, which is in the 87th percentile. Now, once again, whenever we see super top-tier half-court shot creation, it's almost always foundationally led by unbelievable shot-making. These are the shot-making numbers for Jokic this year. 57% effective field goal percentage on catch-and-shoot jumpers. 59% effective field goal percentage on pull-up jumpers, although he only took 44 of them this season. 67% on runners. 67% on hooks. That's the shot that makes Jokic completely unstoppable. Table that. We're going to get back to that in a few minutes. 75% in the restricted area on 4.6 makes per game. All top tier numbers for those shots. Some of them off the charts, specifically the runners and the hooks, which we'll get to in a little bit. Now, let's talk about the unguardability thing. So yesterday, those of you guys who listened in the Steph Curry show, I talked about how Steph and, and Nicola are the only two truly unstoppable offensive players in the league, in my opinion. And so I want to dive into that concept a bit further. In my opinion, it takes two things to be truly unguardable on the offensive end of the floor. First of all, you have to have a shot that you can consistently get to, either in one-on-one coverage or two-on-two coverage, meaning like in an action or in an isolation or post-up situation. But you have to be able to get to and make that shot not just at an efficient rate, but at, an, at a rate so efficient that it becomes painful and unsustainable for the defense to accept. Okay? So, for instance, I'll give you guys an example. There are a lot of players in this league that can get to and make tough mid-range pull-up jump shots at about 45 to 50%, right? And in those situations... A lot of times, like you'll a guy will make a tough shot and you'll run back on defense, and it can be slightly discouraging. But you'll see the coaching staff of the defense be like, "We live with that." Why? Because let's say, for instance, like that Paul George on tough contested pull up twos is having a crazy hot night where he's making them a lot more than usual, and like like generally speaking, he's in the low forties there. Let's say he's making fifty percent of them. 
that means that he's scoring one point per possession. And in a league where offensive ratings are well over a point per possession, that's a trade-off that the defense can live with. And so if you're forcing guys into tough shots and they're not hitting them at a high enough clip to be truly damaging, that's a trade-off the defense can live with. That extends to different spots on the floor. So for instance, if you got a heavy basket attacker who's only shooting 50% at the rim, a lot of our hyper-athletic guards do stuff like that. Uh, that's kind of like the predicament that Russell Westbrook is in right now, right? Uh, pull up three-point shooters that shoot in the mid-30s, like low-30s, like Trey Young, for instance. Trey Young just shoots a ton of pull-up threes and just makes them at a at a percentage in the mid to low 30s. So that means that in effective field goal percentage, once you extrapolate that out to a point per, per possession basis, it's only about a point per possession. The defense can live with that. But if you have a shot that you can convert well over a point per possession, 1.2, 1.3 points per possession, it gets so damaging that the defense has no choice but to take drastic measures to stop you. So for Steph Curry... That's his pull-up three-point shooting, his movement three-point shooting, right? He's hitting those in the mid-40s. So if you let Steph get decent looks in those situations, he's going to get you close to 1.3 points per possession because around 45, 40 to 45% in field goal percentage from three is in the low to mid-60s in effective field goal percentage. So it's not just efficient, it's damaging efficient, and there's nothing they can do about it other than throw the kitchen sink at him, right? Nikola Jokic, it's the floaters and the hook shots. Because he hits them at damn near 67%, you, you find yourself in a situation where if you let Jokic catch in the short roll, he's gonna take a pop shot, he's gonna make two out of three of them, and it's unsustainable. It is too damaging. You have to send multiple defenders towards him. If you leave him in single coverage in the post, he's going. He's too damn big, too damn strong. His, his, his footwork is too polished. His control of the ball is too good. He's going to work his way close to the rim, get to a little hook shot over his left shoulder, and he's going to make two-thirds of them. 67% on hooks comes out to 1.34 points per possession. That is downright damaging to a defense. And they're going to have to take drastic measures to stop it. That is step one. You have to have a truly damaging shot that you can consistently get to. Step two to be unguardable, you have to be able to consistently capitalize on those drastic measures from the defense by generating quality shots for your uh, your, uh, uh, teammates. So, Nikola Jokic is killing you with his mid-range little floaters, and he's killing you in the post. You send multiple defenders at him. What happens next? Nikola Jokic, just on ball as a passer, is constantly aware of where all the defenders are. He sees plays develop before they happen. He's big enough, and he can, and he's, his ball control is good enough that he can get the ball on time and on target to the kill pass, the, the specific pass that beats the drastic measure from the defense. 
And, it, and for Steph Curry, it's obviously different. Like for Steph, it's less on ball and more off ball, right? It's him flying off of a screen and two defenders chase after him. We refer to this as the gravity concept. And the reality is, is the Warriors get better rim looks than anybody in the league. They were third in restricted efficiency, restricted area efficiency this year. They were first last year, first in 2019, second in 2018, first in 2017. You guys get the point. The Warriors get better looks at the rim than anybody in the league. That's because of Steph. Even though it doesn't, even though the assists get registered to whoever the big guy is at the top of the court that's making those reads as Steph and Clay are running off of screens, the 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 actual fear of Steph is what generates those open looks. And then Steph also is a great on-ball passer as well. We talked yesterday about his 14 assist game in game four against the Lakers, where they threw the kitchen sink at him. He couldn't make a three-point shot to save his life, and he still generated 38 points and 28 pick and rolls with his on-ball passing. But you get the point. For both guys, you just have to pick the lesser of two evils. If you let them work in traditional coverages, they're not just going to beat you. They're going to beat you to the tune of a point and a third per possession, which is going to cost you the game. And then if you send the kitchen sink at them, you're going to stand there and watch them pick you to pieces. With their peers, the trade-off is much more simple. Okay, Joel Embiid is crushing us in post-up situations. Let's throw the kitchen sink at him. Doesn't handle double teams well. There's an option there that's clearly better than the main option, right? Okay, Trey Young's hitting uh, you know one out of every three pull-up threes. Like you know, like what well, what are we gonna do? Stay in your traditional drop coverage. He's just not gonna make enough of them for it to be truly damaging, especially over the course of a playoff series. Every player down the line has some sort of weakness in that department where you can theoretically go with a path to guarding them that should limit their efficiency enough to give your team a chance to win. Now, on any given one night, those guys might beat you, either with the pass or with the shot. But in terms of consistently, night in and night out, even because that's the thing, with you, even if Jokic is missing a couple of those shots, even if Steph is missing some of his threes, they're still guarded like they're going to make them consistently because the fear is still there. And those two guys are the only two that I can think of in the league that truly resoundingly check both of those, those boxes. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. 
Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You saw everything that Nikola Jokic did translate to the playoffs. His efficiency in floaters and hook shots went down just a touch, but he made up for that by making every damn three-point shot that he took. And just a ridiculous uh, arsenal of of one-legged fadeaways and funky leaners and all these different shots. The shot-making maintained as he went into the playoffs. His aggression went up a level when he went into the playoffs, which led to the increase in points per game production. He was up at 30 points per game in the playoffs. It was... It was as impressive an offensive playoff run that I've ever seen. The only one I can think of that I thought was more impressive was LeBron in 2018, and he didn't win the title, which makes Nikola Jokic's more impressive. Every series I watched, from the Minnesota Timberwolves to the Suns to the Lakers to the Heat, none of nothing those four teams could do even came remotely close to making Jokic feel uncomfortable, let alone to make him actually uh, fail to succeed. It was just utter dominance. There's two final things I want to hit on with Nikola Jokic before we get out of here today. One, Jokic as a screener. Every time I watch Nikola Jokic footage, his ability to set quality screens always pops off the screen to me. Now, this is something I work on with my young players all the time um, in our morning sessions, our training sessions for the school that I coach at. Um, We work a ton of pick and roll right now because it's something that we're prepping on for this particular season. And... In these situations, I'm always telling the, guard, the 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 big guys, I'm like, I'd rather us get two or three illegal screens called on us per game, but generate better openings, than to never get called for an illegal screen, but can't ever set a good pick, and the guard's consistently getting over the top and staying attached. When you set a quality screen, it generates a gap between the ball handler and the on-ball defender. When you generate that... That's what forces the defense to warp. If the guard can stay attached, then he can't take the pull-up three. If he can't take the pull-up three, then the big guy doesn't have to come out to contest the pull-up three. If the big guy doesn't have to contest the pull-up three, he can linger back at the rim, which allows the guard, as he's defending, to funnel him over the top into the rim protection. Then you don't have to bring a third defender over because the big is back in a position where you can guard both the roll man and the on-ball def- the, the on guard, right? Now, if I set a solid pick and I actually generate separation between the guard and the on-ball defender, all of a sudden, everything in, in terms of the pull-up jump shot and the floater and everything from the three-point line into the mid-range as we work downhill is open. And if there's a good guard there, say Jamal Murray, who's going to consistently make those shots, now the big man has to show up at the level of the screen. If the big man has to show up at the level of the screen, that opens up the roll. If the roll is open, you're either going to get dunks or you're going to bring the third defender over to tag the roller, which is going to open up the weak side corner. All of the openings whether it's the pull-up jump shot, the pocket pass to the big man, or the skip pass to the weak side corner, entirely depend on the separation generated from the guard. And the only way you're going to generate that separation against NBA-level point-of-attack defenders is if you set solid screens. And this is something that I constantly get 
you know, kind of nitpicky with, with Anthony Davis, because he has a tendency to run up and kind of like act like he's setting a screen, but like not actually hit anybody and then and slip early into his role. It's a weakness for Anthony Davis. And it's crazy because I watch him and I'm like, man, you're already so damn good with your vertical spacing and you've got a decent little pop shot yourself. Not as good as Jokic, but you got a decent little pop shot yourself. Dude, like if you start setting solid screens, the whole world could open up for you in pick and roll. But when you watch Nikola Jokic, he makes it a pain in the ass every single time for the on-ball defender to get over the top of the screen, which is such a small thing that so many people don't pay attention to, but it is the fundamental part of generating openings in pick and roll. You absolutely must set solid screens. Nikola Jokic is one of the best in the world at it. Lastly, I want to talk about Jokic on the defensive end of the floor. So, first of all, um, Jokic defended really well for him, for his little individual standard in this particular postseason run. He worked high out of pick and roll, kept his hands active, did a lot of little things that, um, that helped make the Denver defense work. A uh, big part of it too, that a lot of people don't pay close attention to is defensive rebounding. Nicole Jokic is one of the best defensive rebounders in the league. That is the absolute necessity to close a defensive possession. You don't get a stop until you get a defensive rebound. It is it is a huge part of the process that gets glossed over, and it's an important part of defense, especially for a guy like Jokic that can actually grab and go and bring the ball off the floor himself and make the necessary kick-ahead passes, which is a huge part of Jokic's defensive value that I don't think gets enough credit. However, I one of my long-standing basketball opinions has been defense matters, but offense matters more. And the reason why is, as a coach, schematically, I can get you in the right spot and get you playing hard and make up for a lot of your defensive shortcomings. I can't get you to play hard your way into being a better offensive player. And yeah, I might be able to organize some sets that'll get you some better looks, but you're somewhat limited by your shot making, right? And especially when you get to certain parts of the playoffs where defenses can get in front of sets, now even that doesn't work. So offensively, your individual greatness matters so much more than the defensive end of the floor, especially within the team concept. That's always been one of my longstanding opinions. And Nikola Jokic kind of established this. Like, Now, I want to emphasize a couple of different things because I've always believed you have to be a top 10 defense to win the title. And the Nuggets kind of broke that mold, right? And they're the exception that proves the rule, in my opinion. That's within the team concept. But I'm zooming in on Jokic for a second. Because Jokic specifically didn't hurt the Nuggets on defense this year. Why? Jokic still has slow feet. He's still a below-average rim protector. So how did they manage to coherently play defense with Nikola Jokic on the floor? It's because they were schematically able to make it work. They brought Jokic up high to the level of the screen, and they had Aaron Gordon essentially as the low man function as the rim protector. And then they were just really sharp around that. And so as a result, they were able to coach up a functional defense around a limited rim protector well enough to win the title. So I kind of looked at that as like a vindication of that opinion. Which is, and we can translate that to guys like Luka Doncic, for instance. I mean, Steph Curry's a great example of this as well over the years. And he was kind of where I got this original opinion from. Like, how do you win titles with Steph? You just surround him with good defensive players, put him in a position where he has a job to do within the scheme, and get him to play hard. 
If you can do those things, you can defend well enough to win at a championship level. Now, the Warriors had so much defensive talent around him that they were still a top 10 defense. And that's what makes this Nuggets team so unique is like, they kind of did that with a bunch of guys. Like they did that with Jamal Murray as well, right? They did that with Michael Porter Jr. as well. They just gave him a job and they got him to do it well. And then guys like Contavious Caldwell-Pope and Bruce Brown and Aaron Gordon were so dominant defensively, it allowed them to get enough stops within the playoff uh, playoff context. But I think it's, I think it was a good proof of concept of the simple idea that like as a, uh, when we are evaluating star players like Luka Doncic, his defensive shortcomings do not mean he can't be a champion. It just means, as we look back, the two guys who broke this mold, because Giannis in 2021 was arguably the best defender in the world. LeBron James in 2020, that was that unbelievable Laker defense. He was an outstanding defender in that season. LeBron James in 2016, still a top-tier defensive player. Well, he blocked three shots a game over that three-game three, uh, three game span to come back and beat the Warriors, right? Kawhi Leonard in 2014, Defensive Player of the Year, right? LeBron James, 2012-2013, first-team all-defense. You guys get the point. All of them are defensive you know, weapons, except for Steph and Nikola Jokic, the two players that I consider to be the most unguardable offensive players in the league at this point, right? So the point is, is as we look at Luka Doncic, can he win a title without being a, a top-tier defender? Absolutely, as long as he becomes truly unguardable on the offensive end of the floor. So I thought that was kind of an interesting concept that Nikola Jokic proved in this playoff run. But congratulations to Nikola Jokic. Just, just like I, you guys know how much I value the winning piece and I, I in particular was was one of the final people to kind of get on the Jokic bandwagon because I was waiting for this in particular. But I think he's proven a lot. I, I I don't see a solution for him in this particular season. That's why he's going to be my championship favorite again this season. I'm excited to watch him play again. I've become a fan of his game. Um, shout out to Nicole Jokic, number one on our player rankings this year. We will be back on Monday. Going into another top 25 player list, this time covering legacies and careers surrounding the top 25 players of the last 25 years. As always, I appreciate you guys, and I will see you on Monday. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. 
have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.